Football on Off The Ball. Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store. And next Thursday, that is the 24th of January, we're going to be in the Sugar Club in Dublin to preview the Dublin Racing Festival. And we're going to have an all-star lineup from the world of racing and beyond. I think the beyond part takes Kevin Kilban into the picture. Um, he is here beside me for the football show. But we'll also have Niall Quinn, Nicky English, Davy Russell, Rachel Blackmore, Patrick Mullins alongside Kevin, myself, uh, Johnny Ward, Jared Gilroy and John Duggan. And we'll be looking ahead to a massive weekend taking place at Leperstown Racecourse on the 2nd and 3rd of February where top jockeys and trainer will, trainers will be competing in 14 races including 8 grade 1s for 1.8 million euro in prize money. It's an exclusive off-air event so the only way to enjoy it is to be there on the night. And tonight we have been given tickets away. We asked how many times has Davy Russell been the Irish champion jockey and the answer is 3. And congratulations to... Are you from Waterford? You're getting a bit excited. Michael O'Halloran, who has won a pair of VIP tickets to that show next Thursday. And it's all with thanks to the Dublin Racing Festival at Leverstown Racecourse on Saturday the 2nd and Sunday the 3rd of February. Get your tickets for the festival now at www.leopardstown.com. Um, Nick English always reminds me when I hear about him. When I was working in Satanta back in the day, Kevin, um, there was a receptionist and uh, she sent up a kind of a call to the top office which for all the journalists was and she said there's someone here he's a he's a Nicky English I think and like I was just thinking you're in the wrong game like you know Nicky English is one of the greatest sporting icons yeah. that ever I know Nicky quite well loves his uh, loves his racing yeah yeah I, used to, I, I first met Nicky uh, he's good friends with, with Niall Quinn so I first met him probably late 90s early 2000s he, he used to come over to the Sunderland game so uh, good I, lad I had a couple of nights out with him once or twice uh, Johnny you know a couple of nights once or twice well, a few nights out with him. Let's let's just say that, yeah. yeah. We've we've plenty to discuss uh, on the show. We're going to talk about um, Nottingham Forest and obviously Martin O'Neill with uh, Daniel Story, who's not only an erudite football journalist, but also actually a fan of Forest. And Rob Harris will be on then to discuss the Brexit implications following the as expected uh, failure of Theresa May's vote to go through. But the biggest Brexit bombshell, arguably, has actually come on Twitter. I'm trying to look for your tweet, Kev. What was the gist of it? I don't know. Well, I mean, you do. You put it up about half an hour ago. You essentially um, espoused the notion of United Ireland coming out of the... Um, if there's one good thing to... Uh, thanks to Shane here, he's going to help me out. If there's one good thing to come out of Brexit, then, then surely it's United Ireland. Hashtag 32 counties and a further... Did I tweet? Someone must have, someone must have hacked my Twitter account. And a further surely. incendiary tricolour. Kev, this is, uh, this is dangerous territory. Is it? It is. I, I, I think. Do you not want that? I do want it. I think Brexit will. Um, I, I think it's going to accelerate it, but uh, definitely accelerate. I, I, I don't want Brexit. My children live live over in the UK, I, and I, and I, I'm thinking of their futures as well. But would you want Brexit if it brought about United Ireland? No, not really. Uh, well, my only point was is if 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 there is something good to come of it, then then of course that'd be it. Mm. Of course that, that that that's that's what that's what you know. I, I would have been drummed into me since I was a baby, since I was a kid. So that, that's, that, of course, that's what I would want. Yeah. I never thought you were the victim of propaganda since you were younger, right? You are a little bit uh, hardcore. Oh, I've been, I've been, yeah. I've been brainwashed. Um, I, I think it will actually accelerate United Ireland, and I think um, something that looked almost dead in the water has now become uh, a very much reality. Um, and especially with the northern economy being pretty much an economic basket case um, that's been propped up by the London government for years and with the success of the southern economy um, it, it may be a 
quite some time off, but I think it's a lot more we realistic. We are actually a sports show, but we, we do know that there will be there will be repercussions for a lot of young but Irish racing, players. Yeah, and for even for racing. Football, yeah, exactly, without a doubt. They didn't think of the Grand National when they voted for Brexit. Um, you know, Irish horse has gone over week in, week out, uh, day in, day out. And what this could mean, we'll talk about this later on, what this could mean for Irish football is actually quite profound, yeah, even though so, we're speculating. So many different sports. We know that. We know that it, it's, it, there's going to be big changes ahead if if we don't uh, see a revolt, that is, anyway. Yeah, and uh, I don't know, we, we'll see where it goes. Theresa May um, probably has a lot more uh, to think about than, than football at the moment. Yeah. But, um, I don't know, it's, it's profoundly interesting for us, anyway. Um, and now, as we've been hearing today, Martin O'Neill has rejoined uh, Nottingham Forest, um, the club with which he won back-to-back -back European Cups as a player. Not that he ever mentioned it. Um, he's become Forest's 11th manager since June 2011. Pretty insane stuff. And there are rumours that Roy Keane is set to join him at the city ground after their incredibly successful tenure with the Republic of Ireland, which ended in etc, etc. But anyway, on the line with us right now uh, to discuss uh, what's going on in Nottingham is Nottingham-based football journalist Daniel Storey. And Daniel, you are very welcome to the show. Are you as shocked as we were to hear this news today? I am slightly shocked, yeah. Um, I mean, Martin has been linked with, with a Nottingham Forest job pretty much every time. Him and Nigel Clough tend to be linked in the kind of second wave of appointments. If if the first choice doesn't come off, we then hear those names come in. And he's always stayed away from it, uh, very deliberately. He, he's always talked about Brian Clough's influence, but for whatever reason, it's just not worked out. It does seem a slightly strange time for it to happen now. He's, you know, he's not managed in the, in the Football League since 1996. And it's going to be really interesting to see how it gets on. But there are a number of problems at Nottingham Forest that go way above and beyond the managerial position and, and that's something that Martin's going to have to contend with. What are they? Um, it, it's a club that's a, a kind of a monument to short-termism. We've had 10 managers in eight years. Um, we've had numerous you know, directors of football and heads of recruitment and a huge turnover in players. We've had three owners in the last nine years um, and this is all geared towards getting back the club back to where it considers its rightful place which is in the Premier League but it hasn't been in the Premier League for 20 years it's a it's a big club by reputation but it's not a big club by current or recent performance and um, the suspicion is that the owners will throw money and throw um, big decisions at the problem until it eventually comes off and actually the championship has shown in recent years that it, it takes a bit more than that it takes a bit more now it takes a bit more faith and patience and savviness and that's not something that Forest have had over the last few years there seems to be a suggestion that um, the board wasn't all that happy with Karanka's style of football there, which um, had to make us, certainly a lot of us, laugh over here, obviously being fresh from the calamity that was the Ireland style of football over the last few years. But um, what do you make of that? Yeah, it's certainly a concern. And, and it was, it was, it's absolutely right. It was one of the, the owner's most prevalent concerns was that was that Cranker's style of football was not what it was. He, it should be said that Aitor Cranker was very well backed in the transfer market and that he did suffer a number of pretty humbling defeats, particularly at home. And and I know the owners looked at the likes of Norwich and Leeds and, and they reckoned that Nottingham Forest had a stronger squad than both of those teams. And, and they're probably right. But yeah, Martin O'Neill is going to have to change certainly what he was doing at Ireland in the last two years in charge because... Um, if they want to see expansive football, then then that's really not his forte. It, it should also be said that 
the style of football becomes a pretty handy excuse when results aren't going right. If Martin O'Neill wins his first seven or eight games in charge, very quickly the concerns about the football, I'm sure, will die down. But yeah, we are not going to see the expansive football that Evangelos Marinakis has demanded from previous managers, that's pretty certain. Kev, this reminds me a bit of Kenny Dalglish getting the Liverpool job in that there was so much emotion involved and it was like um, nostalgia-laden mm. and um, I think, you know, as somebody for a with Liverpool, I really wanted it to work and maybe it didn't work in the end, but uh, certainly I would be very, very uh, sceptical about O'Neill's suitability for a club management at this stage of his career. Well, I don't know, I, I, I think his club record in, in England, certainly in, at lower level, is excellent and, and again, Daniel's touched on something there it, ha- it was a long time ago when he managed over in England when he's managed at, uh, at, at club level there but in general he has got an excellent record and I think if you look at what he did at Wickham what he did at Leicester in, in getting them pro- both promoted out of lower leagues into the next division above and then of course securing Leicester as a Premier League club I think that's something that certainly goes in his favour the one, one thing I wanted just to, to ask Daniel was in relation to Martin O'Neill's relationship with, uh, with Ellie Short at Sunderland it seems to me like the ownership of Forest is, is quite similar to that of, of, of Sunderland, where there's actually a little bit more hands-on approach actually from, from Forest than there was at, at, uh, at, at Sunderland. But how is that relationship going to work? Do, 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 how, how, do you, how do you think Martin O'Neill is going to handle that type of, um, I don't know, maybe hothead, I think, as well? Because, as you say, with mm. the amount of changes that he's made, he does make decisions quite, uh, 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 maybe quite rashly, I think, at times as well. Yeah, it's, it's worth pointing out that Evangelos Maranakis was the only person that um, our previous owner, Fawaz al-Hasawi, um, uh, would sell to. And I think that speaks volumes. The club have put a, a better structure in place. There is a there is middlemen between owner and manager. There is a, a chairman who is more hands-on. And the club are doing a lot more than they ever used to under under al-Hasawi to, to bring the fans close to the club. You can tell that in the attendances. Most most home games are sellouts. Um but yes, one of the slight leaks from the Karanka camp post his sacking was that he felt that there was undue pressure from Maranakis to particularly play Arvin Apaya, uh, you know, a young winger who the club have high hopes for. Um, and Karanka thought that there was pressure to play him and he didn't play him that much. And that, that was viewed to be a, re- you know, a, a part of the reason he was, he was sacked yeah, or it, he left the club. Just, but he is the, Martin O'Neill, very, very strong character. So if, mm. if that sort of relationship or if Martin O'Neill is being told who he should be playing, then you can only see it going one way from the off, can't you? You can, although it should be said that perhaps, you know, perhaps that strength of character is what an owner like Maranakis needs. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that they've appointed Martin O'Neill because of his history at Forest. Now, that goes without saying that the the club, the statement the club released today said, you know, we want him. He's one of our miracle men and we want him to get us back and try and achieve that miracle again. To me, that's that's, you know, it's incredibly fanciful. We've seen the Leicester dream over the last few years, but Nottingham Forest are not going to do that. What we need to do is move forward sustainably and potentially slowly to get where we feel we should be, which is basically a bottom half Premier League team. O'Neill might well be for the man for that, but to appoint someone on their previous history, that slightly sticks in my throat because I think we need to appoint a manager who is um, focused purely on the job in hand and forget everything else. O'Neill might well be the man for that job, but we need to do it on that rather than anything else. And to my mind, the the club have appointed him because it's a, a, a good PR thing to do they think the fans will get on side the, the last guy did it with Stuart Pearce and that worked badly uh, Stuart Pearce had enough about him and it, with his reputation that 
it was never going to be dampened by what happened at Forest. I'm not sure O'Neill does. So this kind of needs to work for both. You, you spoke about PR there because uh, O'Neill, you know, has probably been on a bit of a PR offensive since he got uh, let go from the Ireland job, um, and his reputation over here was was very badly bruised by, you know, also rumours just about kind of a maybe a lack of preparation for teams Ireland were playing against, but also the fact that he'd really, um, you know, basically inculcated in the team a, a system or a belief that they couldn't play football. But mm. we, we have the impression over here that he's been on maybe something of a, a charm offensive with English journalists and. Maybe Maybe his reputation over there is, is slightly loftier still. I think it probably is loftier here. And, it, it, you know, speaking to a number of supporters today, it's certainly loftier amongst Nottingham Forest supporters than it would be at, at any other club in our position, I think. Um, he does have the advantage that he has a very large, strong squad that's pretty top-heavy with attackers. So if he can bring a solidity to the defence and kind of let the attack do their thing, then, you know, maybe that works. But... Uh, yeah, as you say, he's got to do an awful lot from the last two years at Ireland to change the perception of a, of a kind of dour, safety-first manager because that's exactly what the accusation was that Ito Karanka was. Yeah, you, you mentioned the squad there as well, and so uh, there's one or two familiar names that, that we would recognise. Daryl Murphy will be one that mm-hmm. we would recognise of here uh, instantly, but what about the rest of the squad then in general? Do you think that squad is capable of, of having a serious challenge then for a top six, top ten, top two maybe beyond them just now, but certainly top six before the end of the season. I'm sure that's Martin O'Neill's remit now. Yeah, and it should it should be. There's there's a whole host of, of central midfielders. Jack Colback's got Premier League experience. Claudio Jacob has. Adlin Guerriora has. Um, ben Watson has. There's plenty in central midfield. They they signed three Portuguese players last summer, one of which, Hal Carvalho, cost £15 million. The other two are on loan deals um, with potential permanent signings at the end of the season if they go up. As well as Daryl Murphy, they've got Lewis Graben, who's one of the top scorers in the division. There is still, uh, you know, the influence of the youth academy, which despite everything and despite Forest's best efforts, has has fl- continued to flourish in recent years. And they've got some, you know, they've got some decent central defenders, but from the outside it looks a bloated squad and it looks a squad that was low on motivation um, and that's one thing in fairness in fairness to O'Neill you can imagine there'll be a very quick return in terms of he will get them firing again yeah and and all the talk is that Roy Keane will will perhaps unsurprisingly given you know given his relationship with O'Neill and his history at Forest will come in as assistant and they they do strike as a kind of bad cop bad cop duo (laughs) Um, so yes there will be heads bound together in that change room and again speaking to supporters some think that that's, that might well be the best thing for them because there's plenty of talent in that squad. I, I just find this very perplexing, though. So both of their reputations were so badly dented by the Irish thing, possibly keen even more than O'Neill, and yet Forrest seemingly think it's a good idea to put what would be deemed a failed managerial duo back at it. But it's still a relatively big club. Uh, I don't know, Kev. I, I, well, I, I think it's, it's a gamble. It's the history of the club, though, isn't it? Mm. Simply, um, I mean, Roy Keane himself has been linked with that job several times in the last, what, ten years, I think. But is his managerial currency in bits at the moment? Well, yes, but, well, maybe maybe you, you say that, but I, I think there are still people willing to take a chance on that that character, that name. It is still it's still a huge name within within the world of football. We know that, and that's what a lot of owners, a lot of uh, people within clubs do see that as a as maybe something that Daniel's touched on there. It's a huge PR coup for for Forrest, essentially to get. Uh, to get O'Neill and particularly getting Roy Keane in alongside him. That's the way it is. Again, you say his reputation could have been damaged over. It probably was. It has been damaged here. But over there, his reputation is is still as high as ever. What will the reaction be at the city ground when 
you know, you have your first game against Wigan and you have potentially these two guys coming in. Um, you just imagine there's this groundswell of emotion. Yeah, there will be. Um, we all remember Stuart Pearce's homecoming and, and it won't be as emotional as that. And But it will be, a, um, you know, the, the club, when they tweeted out their statement, did it with the hashtag Welcome Home Martin. So they're very much trying to... Uh, capture that sense of homecoming and they do honestly believe that that swell of goodwill might take Forest, give Forrest an initial bump that they need to get back in the playoff picture and I think they probably look at something like you know it's a very different situation but something like uh, Solskjaer at Manchester United and Karanka's exit has very much very much has links to Jose Mourinho's exit and that it was a, there was a sense that the players weren't really playing for him and that everyone had kind of accepted this sort of mediocrity of performance and I think they probably hope for the same that someone can come in with a bit of history at the club can say look you know what this club should be doing you know how we can play you know how you can play let's just let's just go out there and do it now I don't think O'Neill is as as tactically ambitious and open as Solskjaer but if he gives the same message, then, you know, it's easy to see how potentially quite quickly it could snowball. Yeah, I'm just wondering, has the game passed him by to an extent? You know, you've Bielsa now doing his thing in that division. Uh, you mentioned Wickham and Leicester. That's a long time ago, you know. Yeah, it's probably true, but I think he's certainly his, his history in the game. I mean, I, I'd be one more of, look, if if you've got it and, and, you, and you have done it in the past, then there is still, there is still, um, a, a, there's still a, a, certainly a, a job in the game for you, whether or not this is this, the Forest job has been a difficult job over over a number of years now. Mm. If he can get it turned around, we know Forest as a huge club should be, or essentially, there's, there's a number of clubs that think they probably Leeds and Norwich and, and West Brom, I suppose as well, that think the Premier League clubs. Forest are in that in that bracket. Sheffield Wednesday is another one. So I think in general, they're a, they're a huge club. Martin O'Neill gives them the bounce and they get rocking straight away. Who's to say that they can't go on and do that? I, I wouldn't rule it out. Um, I, I think that's harsh to say, John, myself, to say that the, the game's passed him by. I'm just uh, potentially. No, I, yeah, I, I, I just think in general, I think there is still a place for him. I, I do think that. I, I, given what he's done in the past, I think sometimes, yes, it, it did go very, very sour here, and we know that. It was, it was, you know, everything went sour about the performances, about the lack of goals, particularly the home performance. We weren't getting any spark at the Aviva at all. But his reputation is still, I, I, I would think, very, very good. I feel it's very, very good. And he's, he's got a history of getting sides who are in lesser positions, certainly in, in, higher, in higher, higher leagues. That's his reputation. That's what he's done. It does, Daniel, look a perfect fit for O'Neill at the moment. Obviously, he was linked with Stoke. Personally, I would have been a little bit surprised if he got a Premier League job. This couldn't, this couldn't basically be the best option available to him and perfect in so many ways. Yeah, and it's also worth saying that with the kind of the ownership, not debacle is the wrong word, but the kind of uneve, uneasiness and upheaval around the club and this, kind of, as I say, monument to short-termism, it's worth pointing out that if it does go badly and goes badly quickly, there is a fairly handy excuse there with, with the situation at Forest that O'Neill would very reasonably be able to say, well, do you know, exactly as Karanka will, and say, look, I'm still a good manager, it just didn't work in that position because of the situation the club was in at that point. And, and if that happens, I think he probably, I think he needed a championship job. He needed a championship job and he needed a club down on its luck that he could take forward. But I think Forrest is good for him because if it doesn't work out, he's got a kind of handy, well, look, if you give me a, the right tools and the right situation, I still can do a job. Yeah, I just wanted just to go to you on that point there, Daniel, in, in relation to Karanka. Karanka was, he was seventh in the table was it about a month ago now the suggestion was that look he's not in the top six he's under serious pressure now I know there's another there was another more element or a number of mm. elements around that but if Martin O'Neill is 
falling mid-table or he's not necessarily getting the results, will he be given this season? Is it is it a long-term plan or, or just a short-term fix for him to go into the club now? I don't think anything has been a, a long-term plan over the last seven, eight years. Um, we've had too many managers for that and it's, it's happened too often that there can be no coincidence that it affects those managers. I think what they're searching for is a manager who can get that new manager bounce and hopefully mm. capture something and, and, and they see O'Neill with his history as the perfect person to do that. Um, but no, I, I think it's very, it would be very ambitious and optimistic to say this is a long-term decision simply because we've not had one of those since, you know, the, the last manager to last more than a calendar year was Billy Davies. Um, and that, to me, that feels half a lifetime ago. Yeah, you you uh, get the sense just talking from you there that you're obviously um, kind of deeply emotionally invested <laughs> in the club, but also you're kind of a little bit battle weary at this stage and maybe thinking that um, O'Neill might be, you know, painting the car a nice colour, but the car is a slightly dodgy engine in terms of where it's been going. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. It, it, it should to say it's a fairly expensive car. There's a lot of money been spent on this squad. So if if someone can get it motoring, then then there's a great deal of potential there. And there's a huge amount of potential at Forest. As I say, we're selling out home games as verging on nearly thirty thousand every week at the City Ground. So there's certainly potential there. And uh, and what the new owners have done with the structure of the club, they have got a good mood behind there. It's just we need to see that reflected in some in some managerial long-termism, really. So if uh, the last question was, if it was kind of like a gun to your head, how long will Mark <laughs> O'Neill be at Forest? Um, less than 18 months, but that doesn't necessarily reflect That's long-term nowadays. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is. Daniel, thanks a million. Thank you. Thank you. That was Daniel's story. We'll go to the ads now. Football on Off The Ball. Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store. Welcome back. Um, Full time in Blackburn, Newcastle. That's two all. Um, So that that was actually quite a dramatic game. It's a good game, wasn't it? I enjoyed it, actually. Did enjoy it. 2-0 up very early, Newcastle and... um, Daryl Lenehan as well, scoring for Newcastle. I saw for Blackburn tonight as well, which was great. Great news. Been a good weekend for Irish scorers, or a good few days, actually. It has. You mentioned one of them before the show, Declan Rice. The first teenager scoring the league for West Ham in the guts of a decade or so. Yeah, it's unbelievable, yeah. isn't it? It's amazing, considering that West Ham have this history of you know, producing players in the right manner, and you expect... I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that he was the first uh, teenager to score for them in ten year, over ten years, I think it was, yeah. Is there anything more depressing, though, than, like... The son of a player you remember very well. <laughs> you were yeah. actually like played with. Yeah, Ter- Therese Campbell scored two goals for uh, Stoke tonight. Son, son of, Kev- of Kevin Campbell. Kevin Campbell. Where when when Cam's at Everton, um, when I was there, uh, what a brilliant footballer, brilliant man Kev was. Um, amazing teammate actually, and um, his son used to be around the training ground. He used to come into obviously come to games, come in the changing room before the matches and afterwards, and kick a ball around. It's it's amazing. Unbelievable. Um, I don't know, we're, we're obviously all getting old, but he, he looks a player of immense promise as well. Well, yeah, he scored a few goals. He, he got in the side back end of last season, I think it was. So he, he did play a few Premier League matches. I was involved in a few Premier League matches as well. So just it, just getting game time, probably for him personally, getting relegated might be a good thing for him so we can get some get, get some more games under his belt this season. But yeah, he was substituted in the end by James McLean actually came on for him. They've actually just equalised Shrewsbury. So they're under a bit of pressure, actually, uh, Stoke. And... I think the new manager going in there as well into Stoke, um, un- taking over from Ga- Gary Rowett, Nathan Jones from Luton, who Luton had done great over the last while. So, yeah, 
bit of pressure. But anyway, yeah, it's, it's Shrewsbury equalised. But yeah, Therese is on the mark tonight. Yeah. Yeah. So Shrewsbury uh, two two all at Stoke, Luton nil, Sheffield Wednesday one, and Blackburn two all versus Newcastle. It's a full time. Um, unfortunately, we don't have time to talk about Declan Rice for the rest of uh, the year because Rob Harris of Global Football and a sports writer at the Associated Press is to probably talk about the only thing more important than who Declan Rice declares for, and that is Brexit. Where are we going with this, Rob? Not Declan Rice, Brexit. Well, I was at Saturday's game to see him actually score the goal. So you just want to talk about Declan Rice? <laughs> yeah, I was. I was there too as well, Rob. <laughs> I saw you across the yeah. press room at one stage. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's not being put to a vote, and then obviously it might come down differently in different countries. But uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a busy one with Brexit. Uh, yeah, like obviously we expected uh, the vote as it happened this evening, but um, I'm very interested in the ramifications for this. I know we're kind of prisoners to speculation in terms of work permits and. Uh, you know, even Irish players going across. But what's the general understanding in football in terms of obviously something that's more important than that? But in the football family, what are the worries at the moment in Britain? Well, I mean, from the FA's perspective, it's always been seen as a as a chance that they didn't seize or didn't back necessarily politically to actually uh, try to help the national teams uh, to get more English players into them. And from the Premier League side, it's completely different because Richard Scudmore, when he was there still as their chairman, he actively said that Britain should remain. Mm. Um, and obviously we, ex- we expect what happened tonight, but if, if, if there were potentially an no-deal Brexit and if, if this did go sort of gung-ho into it, what could this kind of bring English football back in terms of the massive globalization steps it's made in 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 recent years? Such that um, I guess you've you've the voter who would have maybe represented what Neil Warnock said the other day, but then you've the reality of Cardiff City with their Malaysian backing and you know multitude of non-English players. Yeah, I mean it was it was obviously uh, quite noteworthy Warnock speaking out so uh, stridently and vociferously, and some you know might say and some would say you know offensively um, on Brexit. Um, you know what perhaps that um, indicated, as amongst uh, many things, was uh, you know actually how much an echo chamber things like Twitter can be at the time because Twitter was actually pretty much uh, against Warnock, but. Uh, you know, probably the last bit of his statement was what most would, uh, you know, most would find offensive, and particularly saying, you know, to hell with the world, uh, particularly given the reliance um, of the Premier League on the world, not only from bringing players in, but also the international TV money as well and ownership, as you see uh, at Cardiff with, um, you know, with mm. Malaysian owners. And uh, I mean, you know, obviously, from one point of view, you know, the government have tried to say that actually Brexit is an opportunity to bring more business in from around the world, not just uh, from Europe in, in particular. And actually, you know, before be, be far more sort of looking out around the world. And of course, the, the Premier League is actually one of the big cultural exports uh, of Britain. And the fact that the government uses it as a sort of extension um, of soft power. But uh, you know, the Premier League would argue that potentially the way the FA want to uh, change the uh, um, rules in, on terms of the number of foreign players could actually harm the league. Do, do you know what, it, it, Rob, it does actually make it all the more remarkable, these comments like that, given the, the different nationalities that's in his squad, given, obviously, it's not a, a British owner of, of his own football club, given the amount of foreign owners that's, that's in the Premier League now. And you just touched on it on it, on it there as well. The, the globalisation of Premier League football, we know it's the, it's the biggest league in world football. We know the attraction. We, we only need to look at the figures 
watching that uh, City Liverpool game last week, where they were saying it could be up to around about a billion people watching that game. It's it's amazing where you you're using a press conference like that because we know what happens in these press conferences and how how big these stories become. I I couldn't believe Neil Warnock's comments and how considering again his owners and the opportunities that's been afforded to him at that club. Like Cardiff obviously disassociated yeah. themselves, Rob, as you'd expect, but did Warnock sort of um, epitomise? A, perhaps an uneducated view and a kind of a naive, um, pseudo-patriotic view when it came to the the Brexit voter in the first place. Yeah, I mean, the, the things that struck me most about it was was the fact that it came obviously after a nil-nil draw. It didn't come after <laughs> some crushing defeat when he was uh, down in the dumps and was furious over a load of bad decisions. And it was actually in response to a, a question about whether um, you know Brexit would make it harder to sign players. And if you pull apart his statement first of all it's obviously a surprise any manager is um speaking out so um strongly on brexit but you've had Jurgen Klopp who's actually spoken on the opposite side which is he can't understand why anyone would want to break off from Europe so uh, you know obviously it's, it's quite welcome we can't deny managers the chance to um talk about politics uh, on the flip side I remember being in France during Euro 2016 and Harry Kane was asked about brexit and he said he didn't really know anything so didn't care but you had players from uh, Germany and Italy who were actually um, you know speak, giving their own opinions and speaking out um, quite thoughtfully so but if you go back on what Warnock actually said you know part of it was actually um, a legitimate opinion for many people mm. to absolutely uh, that, that voice by parts yeah. of the country saying you know I don't know why they don't get on with it um, which doesn't get on with it and they had a referendum and uh, now it's basically kind to be implemented uh, and he can't wait to get out. Well, that is a point of view which, uh, based on the referendum result, 52% of the country um, backed something along those lines at the time. It was obviously the final part at the end, mm. which uh, caused so much surprise the, to hell with the rest of the world, given the fact that obviously <laughs> the government has actually made a, a point of actually it's a global Britain that um, uh, Brexit leads to. Kev, we, we spoke about um, romantically a bit the loss of the FA Cup earlier, but um, is there any sense in England of the loss of the English game in the sense of the, the influx of foreigners being so great that teams have probably sort of lost a local identity in many respects? Well, um, that that maybe some 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 older people or more traditionalists would say, well, actually, Brexit might be a bad thing in some respects. Yeah, I, I don't know in relation to the game. I, I know that of Rob touching it there, fifty fifty three percent of the public have, have voted that that's what they want anyway. Rob's also touched on something. In, in relation to something that we've we've spoken about ourselves, how many Irish players are we getting breaking through at Premier League level now? Bugger that, all. That's that's obviously going away. England are having their own problems, and, and Scotland and Wales are having their own problems at getting players playing at elite level. And Rob's touched on it there that so many so many would view this as a way to get more. English players, more homegrown players into the squads of, of Premier League sides. That's that's the way that you would. That's the way that I would see it, and potentially it could be. The, the only thing I would say, maybe ask Rob there as well. It's it's. Do you think is there any sort of plan in place with the Premier League have put in place in relation to EU players? I know we know it is difficult enough for players outside the EU to get work permits, and they've got to meet a certain criteria to, to play. But in relation to EU players, and of course we'll have this ourselves over here in Ireland, will, is there, will there be a limit on the amount of EU players that, that, that one particular side can have? Or will we go on as normal for, for the time being? No, a lot, a lot of things stand. Um, obviously there's free movement of players from 
Europe into uh, Premier League clubs. And uh, if you're from outside of the EU or EEA, include Switzerland as well, you have to meet those uh, requirements in terms of international appearances and, uh, um, and and which sort of level of international, uh, international uh, team you play for. Um, it was actually a few years ago that Greg Dyke got those rules strengthened to actually um, you know, make it harder for uh, players from outside Europe to come to, uh, to come to play in England. Now, as things stand, the FA runs that visa system. So um, if there's any appeals in terms of against the visa decision, the FA has the uh, final say. That's why the FA has said to the Premier League, look, we need to come up with a, uh, a post-Brexit way of doing things. And they looked at the numbers of how many... Um, foreign players were in the Premier League. They divided it by, they did the average divided by twenty, and it basically worked out at thirteen per team at the moment. So they said, well, let's lock, let's lock it in and say each Premier League squad then can have thirteen non-homegrown players, um, and that would allow them to sign any thirteen non-homegrown players. So you could sign um, someone from the lowest ranked country in the world who's never even played for his national team and you wouldn't need to meet those requirements. So the FA says, well, it gives you the freedom if you adopt our rules to assign any foreign player you want. But um, the Premier League don't want anything that disrupts the league. Mm. Obviously, they would like something that maintain the uh, status quo. And uh, uh, I'm surprised it probably hasn't been voiced uh, more often, the argument, the fact that, uh, well, the Premier League is part of a ultimately part of a European ecosystem. Teams qualify for the Champions League and the Europa League. So why not let um, English uh, clubs be able to sign uh, into the Premier League however many European players they want because they're they're part of those same competitions and try to maintain a status quo like that. But no, the FA are determined to you know, use this as a chance to increase the number of foreign players. I mean, it was actually well in Dublin at the start of December for the... Uh, uh, Euro 2020 qualifying draw that we discovered that uh, it was about the previous weekend that uh, the lowest ever number of homegrown players had been in their Premier League teams, like less than 25%. And uh, that was used while in Dublin as a chance for the FA, in particular Southgate, to advance just why they need um, uh, more homegrown players. But Southgate himself is actually against the quota system, even though his bosses at the FA are actually uh, trying to uh, introduce it. Yeah, in, in 2016, all 20 Premier League clubs voted against Brexit, but um, where do you ultimately see it going, Kev? Uh, Nobody knows the answer. Well, no, they don't. I mean, it, 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 essentially, how can... We, we, Rob's touching something there. Look, you know, we're part of... We're part of the... We're part of UEFA, essentially. We play in the European competitions. Why, why should that change? But there will be... There will have to come... There will come a time... Well. I would think in the next couple of years, if and when Brexit does happen, that players will have to adhere to different criteria than what they would have had to in the past, and this could lead to problems. It may lead to more homegrown players. Where will it see our lads? I don't know. I don't know where it's going to see our lads in relation to going over because we've had so many players that have gone across the course of time over there, and and some have obviously done well, some haven't. But I don't. I'd, ultimately, I think there will be a, a huge change. I think there's going to be a huge shift if this does happen, yeah. Very briefly, Rob, how do you see it panning out, I suppose, in terms of a, a brief kind of pro and con for English football if this goes on as it looks like it might? Yeah, I mean, from the previous point, it's going to be hard to maintain the free movement of European players just because, obviously, one of the key points of Brexit to so many people who advocate that point is an end to free movement uh, across Europe. So, I mean, it has gone 
quieter. I mean, Premier League are going through a leadership void at the moment with the end of exit of Scudamore and uh, his replacement, uh, Susanna Dinage, then turning down the job she accepted. So, uh, the Premier League side, they're uh, currently going through problems themselves. But mm. uh, I, mean, I mean, ultimately, if um, the Premier League does not accept the FA's uh, deal, the FA are pretty much insistent that, well, we currently control the visa system uh, for foreign players. So every uh, foreign signing potentially in, in uh, coming up post-Brexit would have to uh, abide by those uh, string, those you know, those visa requirements that are in place at the moment. But obviously so much depends on, of course, whether Brexit is <laughs> delayed and, uh, yeah. you know, obviously uh, discussions over a second referendum still, which obviously yeah. the government uh, is against. So, yeah, so much uncertainty that so many often say, well, how, how important is it to the government to discuss sporting implications? And they sort of leave it to the FA <laughs> at uh, times and mm. the FA via the Premier League. Football on Off The Ball. Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store. <laughs> <laughs> 